Hello everyone, I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlotte. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Women in Wellies. This week we are joined by Linda Miller. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much, Hannah. Nice to be here. Great to have you. So can you kick us off, Linda, by telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, certainly. Um, My name is Linda Meller. I'm a writer and photographer. I'm based in the Highlands and I cover topics such as wildlife, um, country sports and spending time outdoors in the Scottish wilderness, if there's such a place. I absolutely love, Linda, your series on, I think it's LinkedIn, that I see them on most of kind of, you know, it's almost like a deer a day, um, which definitely is a great way to share your photography. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's something really positive and powerful about photography, if it's done right, a really pleasing picture. Um, it gives people an insight into, well, not just your kind of like your work in life, but basically what's around. There's so many people that see deer, if they're lucky, um, and other people will see, you know, deer maybe once in a blue moon. So it's nice to show some of the, you know, some of the local wildlife. I've got very much kind of privileged, privileged life to, um, you know, to see and to enjoy and photograph because they're all they're all very interesting characters. You know, you've got the roe deer, the red deer. So, yeah, it's really nice to share that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I love how up close and personal you get with them as well. You can kind of really see that you you get to know the personalities of clearly some of your regulars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I call them the, uh, the boys because there are actually a kind of core group of um, stags that you see on a regular basis. And actually, when we were out in the estate today, um, we saw some of them. And there's probably about 25 to 30 of this actual core group. And I could shout across to them. They won't run off. They'll sort of stand there and look at me. So it's always a great opportunity to get some pictures um, and you can pick out the individuals. Uh, some of them do have names because when we, we feed the deer daily during the winter months and we, we you could get up really close to them. They forget about their kind of um, the fear of humans. The fact that Richard is the deer stalker and he's handing out the food, it's quite ironic, really. Um, but some of the personalities really kind of come through some will be closer than others. Some will kind of interact with you. And I do actually give them names because some of them, they just they just look like, you know, one looks like Adam and one looks like Stevie, it's Stevie Staggy. So, uh, yeah, you do get to know them. And um, Linda, you mentioned um, that you're a writer. What sort of things do you write? Um, my specialist subjects are um, Scottish countryside and um, wildlife and um, country sports. Um, something I've done for about 20 odd years now and it, it just it's one of these kind of the, the topics that there's such a wide range of topics that you could write on everything from your relationship with outdoors to you know like stalking deer going fishing um, you know maybe sort of doing some fishing in a hill lock and, and just sort of exploring the beauty of what's on offer in Scotland there's a lot I bet there is and I'm going to jump straight into this one, but what have you got coming out at the game fair that we should all be looking out for? Yeah, definitely. I've got the new edition of my book, For the Love of Country Sports. Um, 
It's a collection of about 70 stories, very sort of personal accounts. People enjoying, yeah, the countryside and how they uh, participate in country sports. Um, what's important to them. And the thing about the book is it's called For the Love of Country Sports. And it's going to be launched, the 2023 edition is going to be launched at the Game Fair. And what's really quite special about the book is if you don't know much about country sports, pick it up and read it. It's not about killing things. It's about the enjoyment of the outdoors and the love and the appreciation. Um, and it's important to keep all these stories together because they, they could be easily kind of forgotten over the years, not passed on through the generations. So I've kind of got, I've got 70 stories um, in this book and it's a book I plan on expanding every couple of years by adding more and more stories. So you've got this, you know, hopefully um, a very, very big, I don't know, a big collection of books, maybe in maybe 50 years time, if I'll still be around then, you know, stories about um, the love of love of the outdoors. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I think it's it's come through in so many episodes that we've recorded so far of just people's love and passion for the countryside, but capturing that story, capturing why they love it. You know, Chloe, Chloe Forbes' episode springs particularly to mind. I'm not even going to try and remember what number it was. Maybe six, Charlotte? You'll probably tell me that's wrong. <laughs> you know, and, and Chloe in that talked about how, you know, although she it participates in country sports it's about passion for the countryside being out and about in wildlife and it sounds like that's what this book captures and I know um I know both Charlotte and I are on the are on the list to to bag ourselves one and, and we'll be avid readers I'm I'm very sure well I hope you'll be at the launch it takes place at the Scottish Game Fair on Friday the 30th of June at two o'clock the launch is sponsored by Fearon Ellen Arman estate on the Isle of Skye. We'll be having some, you know, some glasses of wine and um, some nibbles and stuff. And um, I've also got some interesting people just lined up. I've got Lady uh, Lucilla Noble from um, Isle of Skye, um, Fearon Ellen Arman estate. She's doing the introduction for me. And I think it's a really powerful thing. You know, you, it's women talking about country sports and also the love of country sports. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a really a very, very special launch and I can't wait. You write about your own upbringing and experiences in the book, don't you? And how that has inspired a kind of lifelong love of country sports and the wider countryside. Yeah, I mean, country sports is something I was brought up with. Um, gun dogs uh, were always part of our life. It's a fantastic picture of me, I think, about six months old sitting in the garden with one of the first Labradors and he's just a tiny little pup and I was only like six months old so I've, I've always been around dogs and um, my dad always trained them as gun dogs and competed um, and he was he, d- he used to do very very well so we had a kind of childhood my sister and I had a childhood of we're either out on our horses and ponies or we were supporting my dad going around Scotland competing uh, all the gun dog tests, and part and parcel of it was, you know, we would go pigeon shooting, we'd go duck shooting, uh, we'd have sort of, we'd go out on game days. It was just all kind of part and parcel of family life. Um, it was something that was always there, and it was something, something my parents were very, very keen to have in our lives. Um, and the interesting thing was about five or six years ago. I was sitting with my mum and dad 
Um, they're in their 80s now. And I said to them, you know, how did you do it? They they both worked. And, you know, we, we weren't a wealthy family. But, you know, how on earth and why did you, what motivated you? And my parents just kind of looked at one another and they said, well, we wanted to keep you really, really busy so you didn't have any free time and you might get into trouble. So we'd rather you were out in the countryside around the dogs or out on the horses so you didn't have time for anything else. So there it was. It worked. We didn't have any time at all. You know, we were just crammed with ponies, gun dogs, just doing lots of different things. So country sports for me, it's just part of family life. Um, then moving on through the years, I'm 58 now, and um, you know they're still very much a vital part of my life. Uh, my partner Richard, uh, he's a single-handed deer stalker. Um, I do occasionally still stalk deer, uh, but for me, the real joy of the outdoors is kind of tagging along, either with my camera or my notebook or both, uh, and just being out in the hills for the day. There's something very special about that, and it's something that you could never. You can't actually replicate it. You, you've got to be out there and doing it to really absorb, you know, the, the, the utter wonder and the beauty of it all. It's something quite incredible. So country sports is, you know, cut me down the middle, you will see it. Country sports, country sports, country sports. It's always been there. So, you know, it's something that you're obviously clearly very passionate about. It's been a huge part of your life for such a long time. And um, there's been kind of opportunities for you to tap into that and and be kind of creative with that as well. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was actually quite interesting because I didn't choose that as a career. Um, I originally uh, left school and was going to go down the art route uh, I got a bit disillusioned with that. Then I headed off to London um, when I was about 20. And I was in London for ooh, about six, 16 years, I think. And I actually um, established myself in headhunting. I started down the recruitment route, then specialised, specialised um, recruiting, search and selection, and then eventually headhunting. Um, I got to a point I think it was about the 16 year mark and I just said I can't take any more of London and I just moved out and I went out to the Cotswolds um, and I I kept up with the headhunting for a very, very sort of short period of time and I just realised I don't want to do this anymore. The The countryside is, is calling me um, and then I just decided to jack it all in and um, established myself first as a photographer. I'd always been interested in photography um, and then I combined it with writing so it was always photography and writing, and it was all about countryside and country sports. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. And then I eventually, I, I spent a couple of years, I think it was in Cumbria, um, and then back into Scotland. And that really gave me the opportunity to really focus, you know, really, really focus on country sports. Because everything's here that we could ever want, you know, within the country sport environment. We have it all. So um, it just seemed like... Um, it just seemed like a natural choice. You know, there was no there was no ums and ahs about it. Am I doing it right? Should I go for something else? Should I do something different? Should I follow a different path? It it was just there for me. So it was just so easy to sort of step into. But also 
it's it's one of these kind of things that you find when you're if you're really really enjoying something you're in that kind of state of flow um and nothing could beat that and it's such a positive way to work you wake up every day um wanting to work wanting to get into whatever project you're working on it takes you lots uh, to lots of different places there's a whole raft of different things that offers you um and it's been an interesting experience how I suppose how things have changed you know over the last sort of 20 odd years the rise of social media um smartphones you know everyone's now a photographer <coughs> allegedly but um yeah I mean there's been a lot of changes uh so and obviously we've got a lot of changes in the land and also with the wildlife you know the pressure it's under now so yeah um I think what's really impressed me is that you recognised that you weren't particularly happy in doing what you're doing. And there was obviously a lot of security, I'm assuming, in what you were doing. And um, to make that kind of jump, to make that leap into something that you loved and you were passionate about and that you wanted to pursue, um, was there any was there ever any moments where you thought, oh, I'm not sure about this, or were you just absolutely 100% from, from making that decision? It was, once I, I had recognized what I wanted to do that was it nothing was stopping me um, and I didn't look back um, and it really made you realize that well actually um, I used to earn lots and lots of money um, and that completely changed as well but money does not make you happy it eases the way um, but it does not make you happy and if you've got something that you could wake up every day and feel that genuine deep sense of joy um that can't be bought it absolutely can't be bought you know it doesn't matter how high flying your career is if you're not really feeling that you're kind of in the groove with it and you found something else it's time to move on it's uh, it's obviously no secret that I've gone through a bit of a change recently in terms of jobs and things. And um, one of the things that's kind of stuck in my mind a little bit has been, I wish I'd done this sooner. And I just wonder if you had experienced something similar when you made the change. Um, I didn't, actually, because I, I went to London. London and uh, going into the search and selection um, gave me something that I didn't know I was looking for. It gave me a really challenging career. And it was also a kind of career move that utilised your skills it also helped you develop your skills and you were very much a self-made woman. Everything that you did, you were kind of responsible for, you know, for like building networks in the days when we had to go through yellow pages and phone books um, before computers, you know, all that. Um, so it, you really could make a name for yourself. And I did. I, it was It was great fun. But there is an expiry on it. You can't be like that, busy, constant all the time for all of your life you know there's going to come a point where you're going to go no I need to either take a break or just move away from it and I moved away from it like flicking a light switch I think is the best way to describe it <laughs> I think I think you've got to be brave you know it's your own life yeah your own career um and if you're not happy, you've got to look at the reasons why you're not happy and be really kind of honest with yourself um, and start looking around. And I think if people are, if there's an unhappiness, you, you'll never perform at your best. 
you you tick along, you do your job, you could do your job really well, but if your heart's not really in it, and there's there's nothing more satisfying in being in a great job, knowing that you're appreciated, um, you've got prospects, you've got development, and you're paid for that, you're paid your worth. Um, that's really, really important. And it's really important, you know, for that to be recognised. There's too many people in too many jobs they're not happy in. And life's too short. You know, we, we spend such a long time working. And of course, now that we've got smartphones and we're connected to this and we're connected to that, happiness is so, so important. And that satisfaction as well is so, so important. So be honest with yourself. Are you happy? That's a great question. I think it's a question that everybody should ask themselves. Definitely. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um, the only thing I um, just wanted to kind of, I think on your, on your notes, um, Linda, before you, that you said us before, you specifically mentioned kind of strong women when talking about kind of people who've inspired you. Is there anything there that you maybe want to just add? Yeah, I would say that um, it is still difficult in 2023 to be a woman in in kind of working life and sometimes in other life, you know, in, in and out of work. Um, so I think it's really important to explore. Uh, it, it could be through reading. It could be through networking. It, you know, it could be through anything like going to the theatre to see, you know, a favourite play but just actually trying to identifying women that inspire you by their actions, uh, you know, by their words. I mean, I think I, I rattled off some writers like Nan Shepherd, The Living Mountain. It's a fantastic book. Um, quite bizarrely, Isadora Duncan, um, her book, My Life, um, even though she was a pioneering dancer, I think she was, you know, the first woman in modern dance. I have nothing to do with dancing, nothing to do no interest whatsoever, but she's such a pioneer in spirit, you know, that kind of real drive. Um, I think that kind of thing can actually help inspire other women. And sometimes it gives them maybe a little bit clarity on their own path. So I think it's really important to kind of tap into other women. And you find that through the decades, your opinions, how you feel about things, how you approach things, they all kind of change. And just sometimes you could be reading something. I mean, for me, it's always books. Um, you could be reading something that's it's almost like a kind of parallel to your life and you think oh my god you know I understand all this I know how it feels um, and you've got this fantastic maybe um, um, sort of finale in the book that gives you some hope about your own situation you know, maybe you can relate to it or maybe it's giving you some kind of inspiration to go off in a different direction but I think other strong women it's definitely worth seeking them out. It's, it could be a network, it could be a book, it could be anything. Linda, we we often talk about kind of specific experiences um, on this on this podcast, and I know that one of the things you've kind of experiences you've kind of gone through and uh, is is life as a self employed woman, as a self employed person, a life as a self employed through the COVID pandemic. Um, can you tell us just a bit more about how you've maybe found that, how you've looked after yourself through that time? Yeah, I mean, it, it has been interesting kind of when I look back through life um, and I could see, you know, it all, it all goes back down to kind of career choices again and stress and all the rest of it and how self-care is really, really important. And it wasn't something I, I was aware of 
previously. Uh, I'm 58 and a half, um, that little bit half there. Um, and I think just over over a kind of, um, over my working life to date, I think about the all the different sort of the, the stress involved. And you just, it just wasn't recognised. It was seen as a weakness, you know, if you were stressed and you weren't coping with it back then whereas now it's something thank god that people will kind of like talk about and be open and i think there's different circumstances that could bring stress into your life i think the covid years were very very difficult for myself being self-employed and you know and lots of other sort of self-employed people as well as people you know in employment but one of the things i found particularly challenging uh, about the COVID years was very, very quickly, um, I lost a lot of my work because a lot of the people I was commissioned um, to work with, work for, um, a lot of the big websites and whatever shut down, they weren't getting sponsors, so they didn't have the budgets, you know, to pay for writers and photographers and all that. So very, very quickly, COVID bit very, very hard on my butt, I would say. And it, it was it, it was a very, very difficult situation. But even though you try to kind of navigate your way through it, what I did um, during the COVID years was I started my own magazine for my own sanity more than anything else. You know, I, want, I wanted to share um, Scotland's outdoors and it was great. It was well received and all the rest of it. But uh, one of the things that getting through the kind of COVID years, it was kind of difficult because the um, you, you didn't have an income source. You didn't have the usual work that you'd fought hard to get over the years. And because the world kind of closed in, the kind of online life that we had had completely changed to being almost like our, our survival mode, wasn't it? It's like you didn't go online to do things. It was you were online because it's the only way you could basically communicate with them, um, uh, communicate with family and friends. So it became a very, very kind of challenging time. And I think it was a time that I found that helped me look inward and identify kind of, you know, where, where do I need to go with this? Where do I need to kind of um, kind of go forward and keep that kind of forward motion? And I found quite a few times that the forward motion meant meeting a brick wall because, you know, companies weren't in operation. Um, people weren't able to be out and about. And, of course, you couldn't be promoting the outdoors because everybody was, you know, in lockdown. Nobody was supposed to be out and about. So it became a very, very sort of difficult experience and just kind of trying to get out of that and almost kind of find your footing once again. And you almost had a feeling or I almost had this kind of feeling of kind of starting again. You have to kind of forward, uh, forward motion, but start talking about things differently uh, and just kind of feeling your way. It was it, such an environment that, there's so many people said, oh, yeah, you know, COVID's behind us now. But actually, there's there's so much left over and people are not speaking about it. You know, I always call it the fog of COVID because it was a kind of it was a fog. 
it was a mud, it was a kind of a combination. You know, it's like going through a ploughed field in a pair of wellies and it had been raining and, you know, it's really thick, horrible, thick, thick mud. We weren't making any progress. And I think there's still a lot of it around now uh, and people just are not talking about it. People are kind of going, oh, right, I'll just try and carry on as normal. But you can't carry on as normal because things are different. There's so much that's been shaken down by COVID that no longer exists. So we're all finding this new path forward. And of course, if you're self-employed, there's no salary at the end of the month. There's nothing. So, you know, you're basically starting again. It's it's really interesting, actually, hearing you say, Linda, that you felt like you're starting again because um, I moved in the middle of the pandemic. So I moved from, from the Highlands down to Ayrshire. So I really was starting again and I moved somewhere I didn't really know anyone and actually I don't feel like I found my people in the way that I did in the way that I did in the highlands you know I haven't I haven't found that in the same way things are are not quite as open as they maybe were before I have found people in Ayrshire just to clarify I found swimming friends but I haven't found like the kind of abundance of connections that I maybe found in in the highlands and it's and it is a really, I feel like a lot of marketplaces are different. People are even more, in my line of work, more reluctant to kind of invite you into their home. You're seeing much more of kind of, much less of that, much more is happening online still. And some of it, for me, I think has changed for the better, you know, being able to do things like record this virtually. You know, I've had so many people ask me, oh, do you all get together to record the podcast? And I'm like, no, no, it's all like, it's all done virtually, you know, pre-pandemic. I don't think I don't think Charlotte and I would even have considered doing a podcast together, never mind that we would do a podcast completely virtually. So there are there are kind of positives, but um but I totally agree with you that there are some some hangover kind of covid legacy stuff that I think I think will take a long time to get to get rid of. I agree, I agree because it is such a different landscape and I think there's an awful lot of denial in in individuals and companies and that that the landscape is is a different place. Um, and because there's that denial, nobody's actually looking at it to to find a place, you know, a path of progress. Um, and it, yeah, it is actually quite challenging. And it's interesting what you say about uh, people inviting into homes. There is there is still that kind of little bit of distance, isn't there? Yeah, my home is my castle. Kind of became very became very kind of true, didn't it, through the pandemic? And I think I think we're still seeing that. Moving on to talk about some of the challenges you've faced, Linda, because they have been pretty major, with perhaps your biggest challenge being that you beat cancer not once, but actually three times. Yeah, I mean, that that was quite an interesting one. And again, it was... um... It was an experience that happened when I was 30. That was the first time I beat cancer. And then again, I think it was, I've forgotten how old I am. Um, I think it was about 47 and then 50. And, you know, each each time, a complete and utter shock. I mean, the first time um, I was 30 years old, and it was um, I was diagnosed with I can't remember what stage it was, but it was quite advanced um, cervical and womb cancer. 
And even though I had regular smear tests, there was, you know, nothing scary or anything like that. And suddenly, bang, diagnosed with cancer. So I was on this kind of roller coaster um, of getting in for, you know, like an operation, having a, a quite a radical hysterectomy when I was only 30 years old. Um, and then I had uh, breast cancer when I was 47, 46, 47. And then it came back again when I was 50. But it's one of these experiences that I would put down that helped me to be the person I am today because it really brings your skills to the fore, your strength, your determination, your self-belief. Because I made a lot of decisions on my treatment. I didn't want to go into the treadmill of having this, that and the next thing. You know, they, they want to give you chemotherapy. And I, I was quite lucky. I did my research and I was confident in my own findings and talking to medical experts to make my decision that I didn't want chemotherapy. Um, I got through all these experiences. I had tremendous support of family and friends. And I'm very, very fortunate, you know, to have come out the other side. It's one of these experiences. It doesn't leave you, but it kind of gives you a stronger core you know, a stronger kind of self-belief, but also um, a belief in your own decision-making. And there's something very powerful about making your own choices. You know, it's not somebody else making certain choices for you and you're steering your path ahead. And that was really important to me. You know, I felt that the decisions were mine and um, I could I could own them and move forward. So it's quite an incredible experience to have visited can or be visited by cancer three times. But it's powerful. And for me, it was positive. Very, very positive. Uh, what would you say was the kind of biggest change in your outlook having gone through that experience? Um, about happiness. Um, and again, this kind of if you're not happy where you are, or even, you know, if you were in a relationship, perhaps that wasn't, I mean, I brought a marriage to an end um, in my 40s where I wasn't happy. Um, and I just sort of thought, well, wait a minute, things aren't working right. It's it's one of these kind of situations where, you know, if your relationship goes across your working life as well, doesn't it? It, it will have some kind of impact on it. Um, and it, it wasn't right for me. So I made that decision, you know, to bring it to an end. And it was my decision. I owned it. Um, but it felt it was the right. I felt there and then it was the right decision. The cloud lifted and flew away <laughs> and it's never come back. So, yeah, it's just that kind of strength that you I think you gain a strength from your own experiences. Well, I certainly have. Thank you for your honesty, Linda, and for sharing that with us. It's obviously deeply personal, um, but it may resonate with some of our listeners who have also experienced cancer. And I personally love the fact that you have taken so many positives from the experience. Now, something I know you have mixed feelings about is social media, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a lot. I love a relationship with social media. It's fantastic for sharing stuff and connecting with people. And, you know, just, just generally, you could get some really great news out there, an event, whatever. You know, there's so much good. But the other side of it is the trolling side of it. 
if you're involved in country sports in any shape or fashion, people are just, they, they want to hate you. Um, they, they want to tear you to pieces. And I don't go on there looking for an argument. I never argue with people. I'm, I'm really not interested. Life is too short. But there's people who have accounts, different accounts, different names, and all they want to do is argue, pick holes in whatever it is you've posted or accused you of murdering something or, you know, there's such a raft. And that's the very difficult side to kind of like deal with. But there's also the side of social media that the developers of these apps and the social media sites, the really big ones like, you know, Facebook and whatever, they really want to get you hooked into using them all the time and they want to reward you for being on it 24 hours a day and I've got this kind of real resentment of I'm holding my hand up here because this is my phone you know how dare you expect me to be online you know all that time and for my life to revolve around a gadget for god's sake it's only a gadget I don't want rewarded for my time on social media you know, I don't want badges for this or a badge for being a creator. I want it to be a kind of positive experience and I want to put it down when I want. And I, I don't want to feel that I've got to be responding to email at eight o'clock on a Friday night because someone's decided they want a picture for a magazine the following week and they've got to have it now, you know, nobody controls my life like that it's really important that I have the control in my life and social media for me has got to be it's got to be kind of kept in a cage because it's a bit snarly isn't it here's my arms going out in sort of sort of big claw actions it kind of wants you to kind of it wants to grab you and it doesn't want to let you go I'm beating it with a stick at the moment a very large stick so that's kind of how I feel about social media. <laughs> I'm going to let Hannah come back on this because we've talked about social media quite a lot on this podcast already and the benefits of it. But Linda, you quite rightly say there's a lot of drawbacks to it as well. Um, and Hannah, who, if, if everybody doesn't know this already, I'm sure they do. Hannah does all the social media and marketing for this podcast, um, as well as all the social media and marketing that she does for everybody else. So I'm um, very interested in Hannah's thoughts on this. Well, I just, I've just, as we record this on the 21st of May, I've just come, gone back this week online after kind of, I was online on my personal channels, but I've been on holiday and been busy and I kind of went offline on my like work Instagram and it was the best thing I did. I went quiet on LinkedIn. I just switched off. And I think for me, it was really important. I had, I was in Switzerland and I had three days of absolutely no Wi-Fi, no Wi-Fi at all. I think don't think Charlotte was best pleased. <laughs> I was getting withdrawal symptoms and everything. <laughs> Charlotte had to, I had to like do like an emergency. I'm out for dinner. I've got Wi-Fi for 10 minutes. Here's the post you need to put up tomorrow to Charlotte. But I think, <laughs> I think, you know, if we don't have that discipline to have the time away from it, social media really can be very, very controlling. And I think generally in my, in my own social media use, I have experienced very little from trolls. I, do, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not actively doing country sports, but I also know that my favorite, my absolute favorite element to them all is the block button because I'm not even engaging with you. 
I'm just going to block you. And I know we so we talked about this on on Chloe's episode as well. Um, you know, with country sports, there will always be people who'll come back. There'll always be people, whatever you actually, whatever you do. If you go swimming in the sea, there'll always be somebody who thinks you shouldn't do it or thinks you shouldn't have swum there or shouldn't have done what you wanted to do. And actually, you just have to block them and move on. And I think it's the it's the best way to keep it in its as you described it, it's cage. <laughs> um, and I think I for me that's the best option. Perfect. But my my block list on Facebook and Twitter, my goodness, don't get me started on Twitter, must be about it it's got to be in the, about the tenth chapter. Got to be. It's horrendous. Twitter is the most vitriolic place I've ever experienced. It's awful. Um, I just I just came off it. I think I lasted about a couple of months and just came off it because it's just horrific, absolutely horrific. And social media can be it can be a very vitriolic place in itself anyway, no matter what platform you're on. And especially as you say, Linda, if you're involved in country sports in any shape or form, because there's a lot of misconceptions flying about about what actually happens. Yeah. And I think if you're a woman as well, you, you're more likely to be lined up as a target. That seems to happen on a very, very regular basis. But um, yeah, it's a very difficult one. and There's just no policing to it at all. I mean, you could report people, but you've still got to go through that horrendous experience of reading the message and then you've got to do something about it. You know, they're just not stopping. There's no filtering system. There's no protection system. It's horrendous. I mean, I'm pretty thick-skinned, but I don't know. I wake up in the morning, look at messages once I get to my desk and go, oh, here we go again, you know? These people who do that, these keyboard warriors, they know that. They know that they're relatively untouchable. And even if one account gets closed down, they just open up another one. So there's a definite need for more regulation here. I think it drains the lifeblood out of you sometimes. Um, But seriously... I don't think it really does you any good if you're in a sort of creative occupation. Because to be creative, you've got to be free-flowing, you've got to be influenced, inspired. And sitting in front of a computer at social media, nagging you all the time to come in, come in, come into the fold, um, where you should be outdoors, walking, um, experiencing what's on your doorstep, maybe a further afield, seeking inspiration, walking in the trees you know whatever it happens to be you're never going to get that kind of um, interaction from social media and I think that's very detrimental to people's health physical and mental so there should be a warning label on social media you know that there should be really strong guidelines that um you know, like the alcohol units don't drink any more than whatever it happens to be a week if anybody listens to it. I don't know if they do. I think it's it's interesting, Linda, just there what you're saying about creativity and getting away from your desk. Your desk and Charlotte and I were just were just talking about before you joined us on this, we were just talking about we're entering kind of busy season of summer show season and reminding each other to kind of take that time to be outside because it allows you to be creative but it also allows you just to show up as your best self if you've taken some time away and not just spent ages scrolling social media it's good advice to kind of just look after yourself yeah I mean it's like you said you, you know, like going off on holiday um and the joy of not having a wi-fi signal so even if you wanted to you couldn't um it is it really just kind of cuts you off I mean it, I remember life before mobile phones. 
Um, and I remember seeing how the mobile phone started to become more and more useful. It wasn't just something that made a phone call. Um, and then it became the gadget that everybody had to have. Um, and now we've got a choice of gadgets, you know, watches, all the rest of it is everywhere you go. But the, as a human being, we need to we need to get out. We need to be with nature. We need to feel that kind of connection. And if we don't, we're, we're missing out somewhere. You know, we're, we're going to miss things from our lives. And even if it's experiences, because one of the things I think people say about social media is you just lose an hour. We've all done it. You know, you could go into, I, God, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I went in to look at a message that somebody had sent me about um, some some photograph they wanted to buy. I checked the message, then something popped up, which made me look at it. Then it took me on this trail to lots of other different things. And before I knew it, the hour had passed. I can't get that back, can I? And what have I achieved? Zero. <laughs> So, Linda, we end all our episodes by asking um, our guests to share a piece of advice for the next generation, specifically of women in rural Scotland, but most of them so far apply to so much more than that. Yeah. Um, My piece of advice is say, listen to your gut and be honest with yourself and and really prioritise yourself and your own wellness. Um, I'd like to say, you know, above and beyond everything else, but I appreciate everybody's cir- circumstances are different, their families and all the rest of it. And if you've got children, you've obviously got to put them first. But you've really got to take some time out for you to nurture you. Because if you don't, if you don't make yourself a priority, nobody else is going to make you a priority. And I think that's so, so important. Um, I'm really pleased that nowadays there's more open talk about wellness and taking time now and it's not a weakness if you want to take some time off because you maybe feel stressed or you need to spend you know a morning in the woods walking or you know a day in the hills you've absolutely got to do it because there's so much more that you can get from that than sitting at a desk or being at home and not doing anything if you you could even find I don't know you could even find some new ideas you know, identify maybe a different path, but just take that time out, get away from the noise. Um, And again, back to the kind of social media stuff and all the technology that we're surrounding ourselves with now, it's just get outdoors because all that technology doesn't have to follow you. You know, just get away from it. There's a real hum. It doesn't, you know, you go into bed at night, you wake up in the morning, there's a hum from technology. Some of it's very useful, but being a human is actually quite a simple process and we're making it really, really complicated these days. So keep it simple. Absolutely brilliant advice there. Um, Linda, thank you very much. Hey, so Linda, thank you so much for joining us today to share your stories, experiences and lessons. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great being a guest. Thank you. Um, If you'd like to connect with Linda on social media, her details will be in the show notes below. And we look forward to seeing a few of you at the game fair at the end of June. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time.